walk close to you because you're the light of the world. And, and Jesus, you're the door. And when we enter through you, we, we find salvation and pasture. And that's why we're here. And you're the good shepherd who laid down your life for the sheep. And we're here to say, thank you for laying down your life for us. And Jesus, you are the resurrection and the life. You give us life beyond the grave. And we're here to celebrate that your tomb is empty. And, and Jesus, you are the way. And not just the way, you're the truth and you're the life. Knowing you is life. That's why we're here. And, um, and Jesus, you are the vine. And we realize that apart from you, we can do nothing, but with you, we can bear much fruit. We want to bear much fruit. That's why we're here. Lord, we're thankful that when you ascended into heaven, you didn't leave us alone. You left us your word. You left us your church. You left us your spirit. And so we've gathered as your church to open up your word. Holy Spirit, we pray you would fall fresh and you would teach us. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning's message is called the test of prosperity. The test of prosperity. There are two tests that we will experience in life, and one is adversity, and the other is prosperity. Have you ever noticed at a wedding how they're both there? Done a lot of weddings, and, and the, the two lines and the wedding vows, have you ever noticed that marriages are tested by prosperity and adversity? That's why we say, what, for better and for worse, for richer and for poorer? that when people get married, both prosperity and adversity are both tests. Isn't it true of a country as well, isn't it? I mean, it's hard to remember, but just a couple months ago, we were facing the test of prosperity, right? That the economy was booming and our nation was facing the test of, adverse, of prosperity, and then it changed quickly, and, and now we're facing the test of adversity. In our own lives, in our own lives as disciples, when we hook our wagon to Jesus and we say, we want to be your disciples and follow him, following Jesus, that will be tested in two ways, both by adversity, difficult times, and prosperity by good times. Which do you find more challenging? Chuck Swindoll, a, a pastor, said <clears throat> that prosperity is a way bigger test of our faith than adversity. Matter of fact, he says, for every nine people in the Bible who can handle adversity, there's only one that can help handle prosperity. Think about that for a little bit, okay? King Saul, King Saul, he could handle adversity, but prosperity undid him, didn't it? Or how about, how about King David? King David handled adversity, but when he encountered prosperity, it, it undid him, didn't it? Or, or how about Solomon? Didn't Solomon start out right in adversity? Solomon did fine, but when he faced prosperity, it undid him. And so today, we're going to look at Abram. And Abram is that one out of ten. He, Abram passed the test of, ad, of prosperity. And so if you'd like to, to know how to pass the, ta pass the test of prosperity, we're going to spend a little bit of time with Abram and learn how. Now, I want you to know that Abram is a hero of mine. We need heroes. There are hero stories in the Bible. There's only one Savior. His name is Jesus. But there are many heroes. Heroes inspire us. And so I think we'll be inspired today to learn how to pass, pass the test of prosperity um, by spending time with Abram. If you're new, uh, let me catch you up a little bit with the story. This year, we're walking through Genesis together. 
And uh, Abram is one of the main characters. We know him as Abraham. His name is changed later on. It's about 2,000 years B.C. It's about 2,000 years before Christ. Abram is 75 years old. He's 75 years old, and God calls him and says, Listen, I want you to join me in bringing salvation to all the nations. And if you will, I will bless you and make you a blessing. And Abram said yes, and Abram began to follow God. He left his family. He left his country. He went to the promised land. In the promised land, he built an altar, and he began to worship the Lord. And then a famine came. A famine came, and, and so Abram took his, his household to Egypt where he lied about his wife. Uh, <clears throat> he lied about his wife. And he was, run out of, he was run out of Egypt. He and his household were run out of Egypt. And now we pick up the story. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Genesis 13. And we'll pick up the story. So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev. Now, the word the Negev means the south. Uh, he went up to the south. Now, I'm from the south. And I can't ever figure out why people, when things kind of go wrong, they always say what it went south, right? I, I don't get that because the, Neg the Negev means the south. So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev, he and his wife and all that belonged to him and lot with him. Now, he returned to the promised land. He failed. Abram failed the test of adversity in Egypt. He lied about his wife, right? But now he's returning to the promised land. Now, Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold. In that day, wealth was measured not in land, but it was measured in possessions, in how large your flocks were, in how much silver and gold that you had. And so notice that Abram is in a time of prosperity. He's very rich, lots of livestock, lots of silver and gold. Now, some of you are beginning to say, well, this doesn't apply to me. But, but I want you to know, if you have more food in your house than you're going to eat today, you're rich. If you have a car, people around the world couldn't fathom how rich you are. Sometimes one of the dangers of prosperity is we're prosperous and we don't even know it. Now, Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and in gold. He went on his journeys from the Negev as far as Bethel. Did you know the word Bethel means the house of God? He went as far as Bethel, the house of God, to the place where he, his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai, to the place of the altar which he had made there formerly. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Abram passed the test of prosperity. Abram returned to the promised land, and he, he worshiped the Lord. He acknowledged his neediness of God. Now Lot, who went with Abram, Lot was his nephew, also had flocks and herds and tents. He was prosperous as well. And the land could not sustain them while dwelling together, for their possessions were so great they were not able to remain together. Uh, one of the tests of prosperity, it's hard to get along when you have so much. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot, Lot's livestock. Now the Canaanite and the Perizzite were dwelling then in the land. So Abram said to Lot, Please let there be no strife between you and me, 
not bet nor between my herdsmen and your herd herdsmen, for we are brothers. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If to the left, then I will go to the right. Or if to the right, then I will go to the left. Now, I want you to notice the difference in Abram's life here in the promised land from in Egypt. When, when Abram was in Egypt, he was doing life me first, wasn't he? Um, anybody know anybody who does life me first? Like uh, me? R remember in... Remember in Egypt, he put himself first, didn't he? he? He was willing to let his wife Sarai sleep with Pharaoh to save his own life. Wouldn't you say that's me first? But what we see here is Abram is making progress out of his me firstness. Abram is learning to trust God to take care of him. Are, are we making progress out of our me firstness, are we? Are, are we learning to trust God to, to take care of us? Now, I want you to know what's so amazing here is Abram is Lot's uncle. He's the senior one. He had first choice of the land, but he gave it up. He put Lot first. He said, you choose first. You go first. This is radically different from what Abram was like in Egypt. Lot lifted up his eyes and saw all the valley of the Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as you go to Zoar. Now, Moses is writing this, right, many years after Sodom and Gomorrah had been destroyed, but he's describing what it was like before it was destroyed. And Sodom and Gomorrah uh, were beautiful cities. Um, matter of fact, it says here that it reminded people of what the garden was like in the beginning. <clears throat> So Lot chose for himself all the valley of the Jordan, and Lot journeyed eastward. Thus they separated from each other. Abram is making progress out of me firstness, but not true of Lot. Abram was his uncle, his senior. Lot should have said, listen, you're older, you choose first, I'll take what's last. But he didn't, he chose for himself first, right? Me first. Um, as a matter of fact, everything Lot had, he was blessed because he had been with Abram, but instead he chose for himself. And how did he choose? Did you hear what he said? It looked good to Lot. Have we heard that before in the Bible? You ever hear that before? And it looked good? Isn't that what happened in the garden, isn't it? That, that Eve looked on the fruit that God had said, God said, don't eat it. But the Bible says what it looked good to Eve and she ate. And how did that work? Won't we get a little later in the Bible that Jericho falls down and God said, don't take any of the spoil? But Achan looked at the spoil and he said, it looked good to me. And he took, and how did that work out? And then we go a little further. Won't we see David one day, King David on the top of his roof, roof and he sees Bathsheba, a married woman, and she looked good to him and she took, and how did that work out? So, so notice here that Lot chose what looked good to him. So Lot chose for himself all the valley of the Jordan, and Lot journeyed eastward. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled in the cities of the valley and moved the tents as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked exceedingly and sinners against the Lord. So Lot's choice... 
Lot's choice from a worldly point of view, it was an excellent choice, wasn't it? A little selfish, but excellent, wasn't it? He chose the best for himself. Yet, um, from, a, from a spiritual point of view, it was disastrous. It was disastrous. Do you know why? Because he chose to, to be close to cities that were wicked exceedingly. Matter of fact, I want to show you a progression here. Because maybe some of us are, 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 are playing around with evil and, and we, we think it's not affecting us. But let me show you the progression. In the New American Standard, it doesn't uh, sound real clear that he pitched his tents as far as Sodom. But I want to show you what it says in the, in the New International Version. Let's look at the New International Version. Notice here he pitched his tents, what? Near Sodom. So... I think Lot's trying to have one foot in the church and one foot in the world. Any of you trying to do that? And I, I don't want to go into the city. It's a wicked city, but I'd like to be close to it so I could enjoy it without being in it. So here we are, Genesis 13. He pitched his tents where? Near Sodom. Now in the very next chapter, in chapter 14, look at this. Now, for he was living where? In Sodom. <laughs> Now his tents aren't near, he's moved in. Well, I can handle it. These people won't affect me. I can live in Sodom with, without being affected by it. So, so you see how he's moving in the wrong direction, near and then in. And when we get to Genesis 19 where uh, Sodom is destroyed, and now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. He's sitting right there in the midst of all the elders and the men of the city. Did you see what happened? He was near, and then he was in, and then he was of Sodom, wasn't he? How about you? Are you moving toward Jesus, or are you moving away from him? Hmm? Are you involved in things now that you once thought, man, I'll never do that. Be careful. Do you see what happened a lot from, from near to in? To of. The Lord said to Abram, after, the, after Lot had separated from him, Now lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land which you see, I will give it to you and to your descendants forever. So God renews his covenant with Abram. He says, listen, I'm going to bless you and make you a blessing to all the world. I'm going to bless you with a land. I'm going to bless you with descendants. Notice what it says there. He's going to, that I will give the land to you and to your descendants. What does it say? Forever. If you study Israel's history, has Israel always occupied the promised land? Have they? Are you guys there? Have they always occupied the promised land? No. So, so he was really pointing to something beyond, is beyond the land here on earth. Certainly there have been times that Israel, even like today, occupies the land. And yet he said a land forever. He was talking about that he was going to give him an inheritance on the new earth that would be his forever. Did you know that in Christ, we don't get a few years on earth? <laughs> we, we get the earth forever with new bodies. We're going to be on earth forever with Jesus, the land forever. And so his promise was the land forever. His promise was descendants, even though at that time he didn't have any. Oh, but he would. Your descent, and then he goes on, the land forever. I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth. Can you imagine how impossible that seemed? He's 75, he has no kids, and I'm going to have descendants like the dust of the earth? 
But it would be true, wouldn't it? Matter of fact, one of his descendants would be Jesus who would bring salvation to all the nations. And every one of us, every one of us who puts our faith in Jesus, we're one of Abraham's descendants because those who share Abraham's faith are his descendants. I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth so that if anyone can number the dust of the earth, then your descendants can also be numbered. Arise, walk about the land through the length and breadth, for I will give it to you. Then Abram moved the tent and came and dwelt by the oaks of Mamre, which are in Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. Wow. Abram passed the test of prosperity. He, he, he said, listen, Lot, you choose first. And Abram continued to worship the Lord. But Lot didn't handle prosperity so well, did he? So what I want us to have learned is that Abram passed the test of adversity or of prosperity. And um, the action step that I want for you this week is I want you to abide in Christ, to abide in Christ. And I know you don't see the connection. You'll get there. Let me show you what Jesus said. In John 15, 5, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus says the key to overcoming prosperity or adversity is to abide in him. Now, I want you to know that kids and adults have very different views of the Bible. I have found that if you ask adults, do you like the Old Testament or the New Testament better? You know what adults say? The New Testament. Because the Old Testament's all about wars and rules. But if you ask kids, what do you like better? They'll often say, well, the Old Testament. You say, why? Because they'll say it has all the stories, right? So listen, Jesus teaches us here <clears throat> the importance of abiding but the Old Testament gives us the illustrations of what it looks like to abide. <clears throat> if you want to know what it looks like to abide in Christ, then look at Abram. What does it mean to abide in Christ? The first thing that it means is to believe the gospel, to believe the gospel. I think we have a hard time believing the bad news and the good news of the gospel. Did you hear what Jesus said here? He said, apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Do we believe that? Do we believe that apart from Christ, we're not going to overcome adversity or prosperity, do we? And then we refuse to believe the good news too, don't we? He says if we abide in him, we can bear what? Much fruit. That if we abide in Christ, we can overcome adversity or prosperity. Our lives can make a difference if we abide in him. I believe we really struggle to believe both the bad news and the good news. And abiding in Christ is believing both. Let me show you that. Going back to Genesis 13. I, I, we refuse to believe the bad news, don't we? Notice what it says in Genesis 13, 13. Uh, now the men of God were what? They were what? <coughs> they were, say it for me, will you? Wicked. When was the last time you heard that word used? Uh, they were wicked what? 
exceedingly. Do we believe that? Do we believe that we have a problem that not only are we wicked, but we're wicked exceedingly? Now notice how it goes on next and says they were sinners what? Against the Lord. Now notice that they were sinners against the Lord. I have literally asked thousands of people, why should God let you into heaven? And, and so often people tell me, I've never hurt anyone. I try and not laugh out loud. And maybe that's you, but I try and follow that up with, uh, could I ask your mother? Could I ask your children? Could I ask your spouse? But notice when people say, I've never hurt anyone, who, who do they think sin is against? Who? Other people. But listen, sin is, is first and foremost against God. We sin against God. That's why it's such a big deal. They were sinners against the Lord. Have you ever been out in public? You ever been out in public and a mom speaks to like her little boy about five years old, she tells him to do something, and he looks up to the, to the lady who carried him for nine months in the womb and gave him life and feeds him and bathes him, and he says what? No! Isn't there something inside of you that says, man, that's just wrong. How can a kid respond to the one who gave him life and say no? You know what sin is? God gives us life and breath and all good things. And God calls us to do something. And we look at God and we say, what? No! Did you realize how personal sin is? We sin against the Lord. Sin isn't breaking rules. It's breaking the heart of the one who made us for himself. And if you think the people in... Um, in Sodom were uniquely bad. Uh, look at what Romans 3, 23 says. Will you read this with me? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Who does the Bible say has sinned? And that would include who? You and me. You ever, you ever think of what, what does it mean that we fall short of the glory of God? You, you, you know what that means? It would be like me, you know, applying to Harvard with my SAT score. And they would say, what? You got to be kidding, you're applying? Man, you don't qualify, right? You know what that means? That God is perfect and, and, and we don't qualify, right? You see, we have a hard time believing the bad news of the gospel. Listen, that we have sinned against the Lord, but we also struggle to believe the good news. The good news that God loves sinners. That God's made a way for sinners to be saved. Um, Listen to this. But God demonstrates His own love toward us. How much does God love us? How much? But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You know what blew me away? Is Jesus didn't say, Smiley, you know, start cleaning up your life and when you get your life pretty cleaned up, then I'll love you. But while we were yet sinners, while we were living in rebellion to God, saying, no, no, no. God the Son, put on flesh, came to earth and died for our sins. How much does Jesus love us? He stretches out his hands on a cross and said, I love you this much. He died for our sins. He rose on the third day. 
and, and he offers us salvation, right? Huh. In Romans 10, 9, we read that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You say, saved from what? Well, saved from the guilt of our sin and the punishment it deserves. Saved from wasting our lives. Saved from wasting our eternity. Saved for what? Saved to do life with Jesus and for Jesus, to do eternity with him and for him. Are you saved? If you're not, wouldn't you like to be? It really is as simple as ABC. It starts when we admit our sin. Jesus, it wasn't just the people in Sodom. It's me too. I've sinned against, against you, and I'm sorry. And, and then we believe that Jesus is our Savior, right? Who died on the cross for our sins and rose. Won't you believe? And then we commit to Jesus as Savior, saying, Jesus, I'm not going to trust in myself. I'm going to trust in what you did for me. It's trusting Jesus as Lord. Today I surrender, and from now on, as you give me strength, I will follow you. If you haven't, won't you? That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And listen, if you have believed and you know what we've been saved from and you know what we've been saved for, don't we want to abide in Christ? You see, Jesus said the key to overcoming prosperity is to abide in him. And to abide in Christ is to, is to believe the gospel. It's to be with a friend who loves you and stay there. You know what it means to, to abide in Christ? It's to be with a friend who loves you and stay there. It means that when we fail, we don't leave. You know how Abram can inspire us? Is Abram failed miserably, but he didn't leave. Did you pick that up? I mean, he failed miserably in Egypt, but what did we read? Back in chapter 13, verse 3, he went on his journey from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai to the place of the altar which he had made there formerly, and there Abram called on the name of the Lord. I want you to understand something. The greatest sin for a Christian isn't some sin we do. The greatest sin is leaving. It's Saturday night. You do something stupid. Do you go to church on Sunday morning? Do you? What? Yes! Yes, because the greatest sin is not some sin that you do, it's leaving. What we learn from Abram is don't leave. When you fail, don't leave. Abide in Christ. You're surprised by how rotten you are, but Jesus is not. He knows. He loves you. Listen, to abide in Christ is to be with a friend who loves you. It means when you fail, you don't leave. You know what it means to be with a friend who loves you is you don't forget him. One of, the dangers, <clears throat> one of the dangers of prosperity is we forget God. We're so prosperous, we don't need Him. And yet, one of the things we can learn from Abram is he didn't forget God in the midst of his prosperity, did he? But back to verse 2. No, Abram was what? Very rich. He was rich, he was prosperous, but did he forget God? How about you? Have you forgotten God? Now, he was, Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and in gold. He went on his journeys and from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai to the place of the altar which he had made there formerly. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. There was a place where Abram would come and he would meet with the Lord because he didn't forget him. Is that true of us? 
What did Jesus say? He said, listen, I am the vine, right? You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. (laughs) Every morning when I get up, I hear Jesus saying, come and see, come and see. And I get to have breakfast with Jesus every morning. Do you? I mean, what does it mean to abide in Christ? It's to be with a friend who loves us, right, and stay there. And every morning I get a chance to get up and I get a chance to read the Word of God. Are you taking advantage of that? And then in the study, we're learning not just to read it, but to pray it, right? And then to share it, right? So that we share with others what we're learning. It's what it means to abide, right? Man, when we read His Word and pray His Word and share His Word, we abide in Christ and we're able to overcome the the test of prosperity. Listen, when Sunday comes, do we long for the opportunity to gather together? When, when, when small group comes, do we long for that opportunity or do we forget Jesus in our prosperity? So, listen, to abide in Christ is to believe the gospel. It's, it's to be with a friend who loves us and, uh, and stay there. We, we don't uh, leave when we sin. We don't forget him. And, and lastly, I think it's to join Jesus in his work. To abide in Christ is to join Jesus in his work. Didn't he say that if we would abide in him, we would bear much fruit? And isn't that fruit that we would become more and more like him? Now, let's go back to Abram. Now, remember in, um, in Egypt, Abram did life me first, right? And, and he, I want you to know, we'll find out in the next chapter, he had three or four hundred people in his household. Did you know that? There were three or four hundred people with him. So they watched Abram. Abram said to Lot, Please, let there be no strife between you and me, nor between my brethren and your brethren, for we are brothers. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If to the left, then I will go to the right, or to the right, then I will go to the left. You know what those people said? What happened to Abram? Did did you see what Abram did? Abram gave up the right of seniority. Abram put others first. What happened to Abram? Remember what he was like in Egypt? What happened? You know what happened? He hung around Jesus, right? And when you hang around Jesus, what happens? You begin to become like him. Listen, the people around us, can they tell we hang out with Jesus, can they? Remember what Jesus said? Jesus said in John 15, this is my commandment that you, what? Love one another. And what does that look like? Just as I have loved you. Jesus says, I have loved you so you can love one another. Can can the people in our family, do they see us moving out of me firstness and putting others first? Can they tell we've been hanging out with Jesus, can they? Can the people at work, can the people in our neighborhood, can they tell that we've been spending time with Jesus, can they? Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. Isn't that what people saw with Abram? Didn't Abram lay down his life? He laid down what he could have chosen for Lot, didn't he? Wow. Does our spouse, do our parents, do our children, do our neighbors see us laying down our lives for them? Do they say, what's happening to you? So what happens when you hang out with Jesus, isn't it? Know what it means to join Jesus in in what he does, to bear fruits, not just fruit in us, but it's fruit outside of us. And don't we see that with Abram? Don't we see that with Abram? 
When, when Abram was given the opportunity to join Jesus and bring salvation to the nations, didn't he? And the result of that was he had descendants like the dust of the, of the earth. And what does Jesus say to you and me? Listen, this is so good. You did not choose me, but I chose you. Are you a Christian? Jesus is crazy about you. He loves you. He has a purpose for your life. He chose you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. What? And appointed you that you would go and bear fruit. Did you know that he appointed you to go to your neighborhood and to your school and to your family and to your workplace and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain? That, that you would give your life to things that matter so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you? Well, one of the habits that I want you to develop is I want you to develop the habit when you come to worship that you learn and you develop the habit of going sharing that with others. Just like I want you to read the Word and pray the Word and then share the Word, when we come on Sundays, we're instructed so that we could go and share that with others. Let me ask you, this week, this week do you think you will meet anybody who's struggling with the test of adversity or prosperity? Think so? Think you'll meet anybody? You will, won't you? So when someone's sharing with you about adversity or about prosperity, why don't you just say, hey, could I share with you what we learned in church on Sunday? And if they say yes, then just say to them, we learned there's two tests of our faith, two tests in life. There's adversity and prosperity. Which one's a bigger challenge for you? And then you can share with them. What we learned in church on Sunday is the way to overcome both adversity and prosperity is through Jesus. And listen, if they say to you, well, how can Jesus help you? Tell them, won't you? You can do it. Listen, you've been taught. You have the Holy Spirit. You can do it. You can share with them the bad news and the good news and invite them to put their faith in Christ. You can do it. You really, really can. Listen, here's what Jesus says about you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit just like Abraham and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. Let's pray. <clears throat> Jesus, thank you for demonstrating the love of God for us in that while we were yet sinners, you died for us. Thank you. And we're thankful, too, that you rose for us. And we're thankful that you offer us salvation. Listen, if you've never confessed with your lips Jesus is Lord, if you've never believed in him for salvation, won't you? I mean, he's here. Won't you admit to him? Jesus, I've sinned against you, and I'm sorry. And won't you believe, Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sins and rose. And won't you commit to him? Jesus, I want you to be my Savior and forgive me, and give me eternal life. And I want you to be Lord of my life, and help me be the person you want me to be. Oh, if you've done that for the first time, won't you text us at this number? We'd love to celebrate with you. Won't you text ABC to this number? And Lord, I pray for your people this week that we would believe the gospel, both the bad news and the good, and and Lord, I pray this week that we would spend time with you, that we would spend time with you and we would remain with you because through you we can overcome both 
adversity and prosperity. And Lord, I pray that we would join you this week in what you're doing in the world and, and we would become like you and we would share you with others. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.